0: I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What? Comics Podcast for the Savage Credits website. You've got two hours, Graham McMillan and I have the podcast. Wait What? Episode 87. Oh, sure. It starts with seven minutes of me bitching and moaning about Skype, but then we've got a lengthy and spoiler filled discussion of the Avengers movie with only semi continuous random seeming comparisons to Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Then a quick talk about Saga Number no. Three by Brian K. Vaughan and Fiona Staples, Avenging Spider-Man Number no. Seven by Catherine and Stuart Immonen, the history of Kitty Cats, Saucer Country Number no. Three, Wolverine by Jason Aaron, Wakuman, Batwoman, Watchmen Toasters, the oral history of DC's Countdown is told by Funny Book Babylon, Blackest Night, and much more. Also, in our never-ending attempts to answer your questions, we discuss why writers and comics seem to get all the credit, Viz Comics, Taboo. The ZX Spectrum, Star Blazer, The Mystery of Reverse Aquaman, Thor and the New Gods, Thanos and Where the Credit Resides for Marvel's Cosmic Stories, Matt Fraction's Thor, grappling with the career of Brian Bendis, and much, much more. Although not as much as when we usually run two hours and 15 minutes. Nonetheless, we hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening.
1: Can it be Jeff?
0: Yes. Yes. Are
1: you, just, it, 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 are you actually there? Can you hear me? I can! You're you're sounding as excited as a, your email made you sound. So Skype's just messing you around, is it? Skype's being
0: an utter cock. I mean, admittedly, it's it's one of those situations where I've got to... Uh, I'm going to have to get a new computer. That's just the way I've got to look at it. So uh,
1: <laughs> I, currently... I have a question to ask before we go any further. Are we sure yes. that this is recording? Because the last time you updated Skype, we went yes. like half an hour and there was no recording.
0: Yes, I know. I appreciate you, you checking. No, we really are recording. Uh, I'm in such a terrible mood that we might as well not be. But, uh, but yeah, I, you know, let us chat away.
1: <laughs> wow, you're so upbeat. I, I love it. Yeah, yeah. You are just like, I hate everything. I, I'm very amused <laughs> also that you called Skype a cock because I desperately try not to say anything bad. When I was talking about how Skype was messing you around, I was like, should I say it's fucking him up? No, it's the like, first minute of the podcast. Do not swear in the first minute. And then you said cock and I was like, it's all open now. We can do it.
0: <laughs> that's right. It's all free. We can we can do whatever. Uh, in fact, I'm going to try um, changing my headphones because that's how crazy and out of control we are. Uh, I'm using these like uh, these earphones where the buds go in your ears, and the, it's pretty much designed as a recording experience to make you want to stab yourself in the head. So hold on, one second here. Apologize. can you hear me?
1: I can hear you. Can you hear oh, me? More importantly.
0: Yes, exactly. I had that moment where I'm like, fuck, I can't hear him. And then uh, I realized the mute was on. So not that that should have really affected you. This sounds so much better. I can't believe it. Okay. Okay. Finally. Hi. So we are. <sighs> Only 20 to 25 minutes later than I would have liked to have begun. You you're truly a prince for, for putting up with
1: this. This is the best part. So we said, dear readers... Uh, listeners even, wow, you can tell I've been writing too much today um, <laughs> Like we, se- we send an email every week and we're like Okay, so let's start at blah 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 time And you right. made a joke today that when we said 2.30, mm-hmm. it was going to be 2.40 Yes And then I was like, that, no, what are the odds? <laughs> I, I actually thought that So I'm plugged everything <laughs> At 2.30 <laughs> And, yeah. you know, there's nothing. And I was like, okay, so we're going to pip bit, bit delete. And then your emails were just like, Skype is not helping me. I hate Skype. Oh, <laughs> motherfucker bitch. Skype. But I was just like, oh, no, this isn't yeah. going well at all today.
0: It's really not. And it, it was one of those situations of like, do you want to update? And it's like it gives you the choice. Like, you know, later. Remind me later. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do this later. It's like, Okay. Good luck opening me, you fuckhead. You know, so it was. It, <laughs> I, I was what, like, "You
1: Skype actually uses that that particular warning."
0: Well, I, I, I have to admit, there's like oh no under options, but there's like a swear slider, and I have mine sent to maximum. So I in should. some ways, that's probably my own fault. Yeah, you should. It's entertaining. Uh, and, and it doesn't feel so one-sided when you're swearing at Skype because it's like you are worthless, you know? And like, it goes <laughs> both ways. It really
1: helps. Wait, Skype is saying you're worthless or you're saying you're worthless to Skype?
0: No, 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 no. I, the joke was supposed to be that Skype was telling me I'm worthless. But, uh, you know, why quibble? Why You know, at that point, if I'm putting all this stuff on a program, chances are good it's really coming from me, Graham. Let's, let's face it. You know?
1: Don't don't be so down on yourself. <laughs> I can't.
0: This is what happens when I run back from uh, from therapy and and spend twenty minutes trying to set up my fucking computer to record. It's just uh, at the end of it, I'm just like, I can't do anything. Ah.
1: <laughs> you sound like me last Friday. Last Friday, I'd um, I'd just done so much work in that week, and also mm-hmm. had so much work left to do. Like God. I reached Friday uh, evening, and I just mm-hmm. had stuff that I had to do in the weekend,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it was one of those you just like your brain is just like I I can't actually get my head around how much there is to do, right? That I, anything could have happened that I would have just sort of turned tearfully to it and been like. Ah! <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah you have those days i i definitely i'm glad i'm not alone in them but sweet god they just ah i don't know you know it's it's and of course sometimes you have those weeks of course where everything just stacks up neatly i think i told you like we do to a variety of forces i will not bore the listeners with i ended up getting up at 5 a.m to to take someone to the airport which is totally fine but somehow on top of everything else that was going on it pretty much was like a a sucker punch to the soul i just never recovered for the rest of the day and arguably even today like i've just been at that state where it's like you know like i'm trying to get a sandwich and it's like uh can i get those potato chips oh i'm sorry we're out (laughs) why you know like really bad bad like beyond first world problems into like a a, a terrifying realm
1: i totally feel that sucker punch to the soul is like the 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 worst thing that i can imagine (laughs) it's just it's so amazingly dramatic it's it's oh man that's right.
0: Well, you know, you are talking to a man who has been reading comic books for three decades. So,
1: <laughs> given, given, Suck a bunch given the, of the soul, you. is some sort of like weird Quentin Tarantino does Chris Claremont thing, isn't it? It kind of is.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's so funny. I was kind of like, it sort of seems like something. To me, it actually seems like something that uh, that Steve Englehart would have written in the the mid 70s. I think, you know, one of those issues of Captain Marvel for like a Jim Starlin plot that just doesn't work right. You know, it's like, yeah, Adam Warlock.
1: Talking of Jim Starlin. I saw Avengers.
0: Ooh, let's talk about that. People will want to listen to this. What did you think?
1: Uh, I thought you were pretty spot on in, in a lot of what you said uh, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it but I have to admit I did not enjoy it as much as everyone else in the world seems to if that makes sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like this is really well done and it's it's by far the best Marvel superhero movie Oh, and yeah. it might even oh, be yeah, the best yeah. superhero movie but
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean it really doesn't match up to like The Last Mission Impossible do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. like it, it's the last Mission Impossible was just so much better an action film mm-hmm, than Avengers mm-hmm. is because Avengers really does have a horrific exposition in there, oh, yeah. uh, and B incredibly slow points, and mm-hmm, it's, it's mm-hmm. remarkably uneven.
0: Yeah, it's it really is uneven. You know, it's funny for whatever reason I did not mind the exposition nearly as much, and there is there's a ton of it, and there's a lot of um. There's a lot of lingering that I'm really impressed that the movie, I, I suspect if I go back and see it a second time, that thing is going to drag like a son of a bitch. Because there's a whole sequence there that's that's essentially like the team has come together and is in the process of falling apart and Loki's, you know, smirking, <laughs> smirking, you know, master plan sort of comes to fruition. It It's, it's. Uh, I would think that seeing it, knowing what's coming, would make it feel even more just, just, just ponderous. I guess
1: yeah, you know? There's just uh, the, and here's the thing. Like, I really did leave and go. That was great, but mm-hmm. when I think back on it, right, like it really falls apart. I'm like, so the the last like 45 minutes is pretty much, and then everyone punches something.
0: Right, 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 right. Which, to be fair, is kind of. Uh, I mean, on the one hand, it's the Avengers. That's what you want. You know what I mean?
1: Sure, I but, but in terms is... of like any other film, it's it really it just cheats. It really does. It's like this yeah. this portal. You can't close it. You can't close it. It's impossible. Oh, now that I've woken up, I meant to tell you. There's a way that you can close it, and it's really easy.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh,
1: or mm-hmm. um, or the Hulk. Like the, so mm-hmm. Mark Ruffalo is great, isn't he? Really, oh my god! I mean, he's completely. Remarkably watchable. He is completely yeah. charming, but his whole "my secret is I'm always angry" doesn't make sense at all.
0: It's a triumph of acting, and and I think actually timing and pacing. Because when he says that, like I had this moment of like, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" And then after the movie, I was like, "Wait, what? What does
1: that mean? What does that even <laughs> mean?" At the moment, I literally was just like, "But no." what if he's always angry and he can control it because of that how did he hulk out earlier and if he's always angry and he can control it is he controlling the hulk because the hulk's being a good guy now but earlier on he tried to kill everyone
0: well and i think that's kind of where this is this is kind of the thing that i was talking about in terms of like everybody's got a uh, an arc i guess but only if you work triple time to put it there.
1: Like it's, you really do. You're like, well, I guess he's really taking on what Tony Stark said about him suiting up. As right. a, and And that's, I mean, that's barely there.
0: Yeah, it's barely there. And I think there is a case to be made. Like the one time Banner loses his shit and turns into Hulk is that time where... Basically, you know, he gets pinned underneath all that stuff. He gets pissed off and he and he really does lose control. But I think the whole idea is the rest of the time, he's one of those guys. It, I, I think you're supposed to go back and see that movie and realize that Mark Ruffalo really is playing a guy who essentially is angry all the time, but is in that sort of bitter, quiet, pissed off, amused kind of way. I don't know. I'm not even sure. I, I'm sort of like, but then some of the lines make more sense, but then the delightful under the way that he underplays some of the other lines, you know, you have to believe that essentially Bruce Bruce Banner is essentially acting in his in his role as Bruce Banner. And Mark Ruffalo doesn't give you enough little tells, I guess, to, to make you think that that's the case. I'd, I'd have to re-see it. Um it's but he is one of those things where it's just um where it's the best case scenario where his performance is so pleasurable you don't care. And that, that was it. By the time it got to the forty five minute punch a thon, I not all of it, but the majority of it, I'm like, I like this enough that I I kind of don't care. Or like when the, when the giant space slugs are falling all over New York and falling, like those were some pretty goddamn good special effects. And I really was like, like I'm, I'm, I don't know how to describe it. I'm not invested in it, but I am literally drawn into it while it's happening in in a way that, you know, it it was it was this weird like I walked out of it kind of like I enjoyed it. It wasn't necessarily that good and yet it was so much better than I expected it would be. Like it just and I again, I just had that weird like I kind of felt like a sponge that had been wrung out. Like I'm like, "Okay, I guess I guess I'm I'm good." Like but, you know,
1: <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's one of those films that is really, really great because it gets you going. Yeah. But apart from the the getting you going part, it's actually right. kind of terrible. Right. And so it exactly. really comes down to is that enough?
0: Yeah. No, right. It's The Avengers is really one of those movies where I was like, uh, it it kind of makes me worried about the future of filmmaking in like this really weird. Maybe snobby elitist way, but I, I but yeah the the kind of that concept of walking out going, gee, is that enough and it, and again, now, I'm curious because when I walked out, I said that I'd clearly missed all the other movies in this genre. I take it that as far as a product placements fight things while everything blows up kind of movie, it's better than the Transformers films or oh yeah, because
1: like, like I said it I mean at least Avengers makes sense. Right. And Avengers has some genuinely funny lines uh, yeah. Not as many as I expected I have to admit
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um, mm-hmm. And it has some great performances I mean, it, apart yeah. from Mark Ruffalo I actually found myself really liking Scarlett Johansson, which might be the first time since like the, whatever the film was that she did with Billy Bob Thornton <laughs>
0: Really? Wait, she did a
1: movie? with. Yeah, that like – Oh, the Cohen brothers? Yeah. No, uh, the man who wasn't there? Yes, that's what it's called. Um, Yeah, that might be the first time since that movie that I played Scarlett Johansson. But I really liked her in this.
0: Yeah, there were – she came and went, but I really appreciated that – because I thought it was just, you know, the forces that be were like, we're going to make her storyline – we're going to make her have a storyline, I guess. But it it really, it kind of worked for me. I really was. I was like, I appreciate that they spent as much time um, making her a cool character. So when she did cool things, it seemed pretty awesome. I was, re- I, was I can't tell you how grateful I was for it. Um, there were times I wish she was a better actress though. like Because Jeremy Renner, who has so much less to work with, um, he basically sold his performance uh, on the strength of like maybe two sentences. You know what I mean? I have, like he's like, I,
1: I don't share the Jeremy Renner love, so I, I can't agree mm, with you on that. I've never understood Jeremy Renner's <laughs> success. Um, and I thought Hawkeye was a, oh, a disaster in the film.
0: Oh, interesting. I didn't think that he was a success per se, but at the end of it there, cause he really, you're just like, what does he have going on? And all they have is that, you know, that scene where she says something like, Hey, this is just like Bangladesh. Or, and he's like, ah, uh, we have very different memories of Bangladesh. And just, just the way he said it, it was kind of this weird, like, I don't know. I was just like, wow. I wish that guy actually had something where he could fucking act.
1: Yeah, I I, I, really I wish did. I wish that guy would the guy who had that line was in the movie, if that makes sense. Exactly. Like the whole thing exactly. where it's like he's brainwashed. He stops being brainwashed because she punches him really hard, which is again one of those things we are like, Really? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah really? Yeah. Totally. Um
1: mm-hmm. But then like he's like, Okay, you go up in the tower and tell us what you see. Mm-hmm. And it's like that that's 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 your plan? Like, that. that's what he does? I don't know. It just – there really are are horrible lapses in logic that they're just hoping you don't notice.
0: Well, and you kind of don't while it's going on. And then afterwards, you walk out and you're like, uh But like – and again, like I said, it's still compared to – as far as movies that aren't really movies go, it falls way behind Ghost Protocol, which again has Jeremy Renner as a complete cipher um, but is absolutely, you know, kind of sumptuous and
1: really enjoyable. You know, well, and this was. What, what I, I was saying on the way home for me is Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol literally from the start pretty much had me on the edge of my seat. Yes. Even in the slow parts, yes. there was enough unresolved that I was like, mm-hmm. okay, what's going to happen? Whereas in the slow parts of Avengers, I was just like, yeah, can you get this over? Because, I mean, you know, there's another set piece on the way
0: yeah i yeah that could be that could be also i just think the quality of the set to me the quality of the set pieces like um you know no diss against joss whedon or really anybody but uh as far as somebody who understands where to put the camera and how to move it in a surprising way that gives you more like gives you more information as somebody who's like totally knows at every second what you're thinking and how to spin it there's very few people who can beat brad bird you know uh brad bird one uh, walking out of ghost protocol i'm like i will see anything that guy did it does next
1: because he's he's um amazingly visual yeah yeah he the, is well, unsurprisingly, the pieces, guess, there's it, always at least yeah. one part where you're just like oh holy shit Yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: no there's always some way where he like takes it And spins it. And again, even just a just a uh, uh, just the way he'll turn a camera so that like when somebody else enters the frame, you know, like like the scene in the early prison fight thing where like, you know, Tom Cruise like knocks a guy through those um, double doors and more people, you know, come through the doors after him. You know, it's just a brilliant little piece of, um, you know, just figuring out what the stakes are and how to keep upping them and upping them and upping them until it's it's almost like a comedy. It's so delightful, you know? Mm. Um, so, yes, I think for The Avengers, <laughs> our review of The Avengers is go see Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Um, I, but, yeah, no, not terrible, though. You know what I mean? No, like, that's just I it. like I it's, saw it.
1: It's mm-hmm. totally fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It really is. You come out of it thinking, that was a great movie. That was really fun. Yeah. But I don't understand... I guess I don't understand why, beyond the fact that everyone wants it to be the most awesome film ever, the people are acting as if it's the most awesome film ever.
0: Well, I think because uh it's kind of a relief- I haven't seen Captain America, but after seeing Thor and Iron Man Two, it's a real relief, you know, like Iron Man Two, I thought was such a dud, and Thor had little bits um that worked, and just a ton of stuff that were just boring globs of globbiness. And by contrast, the Avengers, which is not... The the Avengers is that guy who, you know, still could af- afford to lose 20 pounds, but considering he's in the company of a bunch of guys who need to lose about 70 pounds, he looks pretty lean, you know? <laughs>
1: So I think that's part of it. I honestly think that's where we should leave our conversation about the Avengers, because I think that's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Backhand compliments are (laughs) high. Indeed. Indeed.
0: So uh, speaking of compliments, and I'm going to do it front-ended, and I know we're going to do questions, I hope. But um, I really had have not had a chance to read any comics this week, I think I had warned you, except for Saga 3. But holy fuck, Saga 3 is so good.
1: It oh really is the Saga is just good. I mean, it's just really, really good. Every issue so far, there's been at least one moment where I've just thought, ha, that's perfect. This week, or this month, rather, Lion mm-hmm. Cat. Mm-hmm. I don't know yes. why Lying Cat amused me so much, but I find Lion Cat, I mean... Sensational character find of 2012 for me is lying cat.
0: Oh, completely. Completely. You know, I have to ask you, um, maybe this is just me, but did while reading saga number three, did you kind of get the feeling like this could be like a hell of a good webcomic? Does that sound like really weird? It did not
1: occur to me, but when you say it, I can totally see what you're saying.
0: Yeah, there's just something about it where. It, it's, it's, it seemed, he seems to have it paced on three page sequences or something. And each one of those sequences is sort of entertaining in and of itself. And then when you smush it all together the way that he does in one issue, you're just kind of like, it, it's a, it's, it's really just amazingly enjoyable and fun. But weirdly, this was the first issue where I'm like, it's just modular enough in the way that he does it. Um and yet there's not really a lot of there's hardly any fat there's it's it's all pretty lean um it it really moves quickly just such a good comic for i 'm sure everyone out there is probably already already reading it, but if not, do yourself a favor and go pick up the first three issues of saga because it 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 is um it is it is turning out to be the brian Vaughn book that i i think i've enjoyed. Just about the most, except for the first volume of Runaways. So I was
1: going to say, is it the Brian Vaughn book you've always been waiting for?
0: You know, it is and isn't. Is and isn't. Because there's a lot of stuff with it that... Um, one of the things that I like about it, in some ways, is because it's set so firmly in the realm of made upville, uh, one of what I always thought of one of Vaughn's greatest strengths, which was... Um, really doing the heavy lifting as far as his research goes Uh, you know, and then using his quirky dialogue to kind of um, sell you on like a a lot of exposition, but usually exposition where you really learn something. Mm -hmm. Um, I would have thought that that would have been the, you know, quote unquote, ideal Brian Vaughn. I would have thought that, 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 the Vaughn that I'm used to reading is actually very skimpy on story concepts, I guess you know and and usually makes his scenes work through through you know his dialogue and these are just sequences where um where he usually has some extra absurd piece um powering the scene that that makes it an enjoyable read so so, yeah, I think weirdly enough, this is a Brian Vaughn that I would not have expected, you know, halfway through Ex Machina or after, you know, um, half, you know, even in the middle of Y, The Last Man. This really reminds me the closest this comes is, again, to me, something like Runaways, which I always thought was more of an anomaly uh, in his work, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just strong stuff. So
1: I completely agree. I think it's great. I think this week overall was not the strongest for releases, so I don't really think you mm-hmm. missed much. Uh, yeah, well
0: yeah, I picked up a few things but haven't read them. But yeah, my my like I went in and looked at stuff and I'm like, this is it. Like I, I basically picked up that first volume of Rogue Trooper, you know, that that I don't know how long it's been out, but Hibbs had it on the new releases rack, and I'm like, oh, I could be perfectly happy trying to read, you know, a couple hundred pages of Rogue Trooper. So um, I I pray that I'm not wrong (laughs) in that regard. But yeah, you know, there wasn't a lot. Like even when it was like stuff like Wonder Woman, I was kind of like, really? I gotta pick this up. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't crazy.
1: The best thing I read this week that wasn't saga is actually Mm -hmm. from last week, (laughs) Um, and it's the Avenging Spider-Man issue by the Eminence.
0: Oh. oh, I'm sure that would have been incredibly fun.
1: Uh, yeah, it's the Eminence. It's, you know, Catherine Eminent, I just find a remarkably fun but smart writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I really liked about the *Fending Spider-Man one is it has a really weird, sarcastic take on the quote-unquote Marvel editorial voice from the 70s that the AVX mm-hmm. thing did as well. And so <laughs> the story is actually called to watch him call it. All mm-hmm. one word, and the first page goes an epic twenty-page graphicanza from your par- pals at Marvel, <laughs> and there's just there's something about that. It, it's I mean it's it's very, um, it's very strongly a comedy issue. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's twenty, it's a twenty-page one-shot of Superman and Spider-Man and She-Hulk together, and it's it is you know introduce the threat, have a ridiculous denouement. Done. Get out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just done really nicely. Very mm-hmm. fast, very light, very enjoyable. Uh, it, it's just a remarkably fun superhero comic. Right. So yeah, I, I, I was really surprised. The other thing I really like about it is the recap page, which is apparently written by the assistant editor, Ellie, De- Ellie Pyle, um, gives the origin of, of Spider-Man, the origin of She-Hulk, and then the origin of Kitty Cat's. Because there are cats in there. And the origin of kitty cats goes, little is known about the history of cats other than that they were first domesticated in ancient Egypt and might have prevented the bubonic plague if medieval European cultures hadn't killed so many of them for being in league with the devil. They achieved great theatrical success in the 1980s that inexplicably continued until the year 2000. But their greatest achievements came when they were the first to master all all the star-making potential of new media. And now they rule the internet as kitty cats. (laughs) (laughs) It's just spectacular.
0: That's great, also, that is the, the, really delightful
1: The previously, because it's, it's a done and one So there is, should be no previously Is Previously, things completely unrelated To this issue occurred in Avenging Spider-Man 6 Punisher 10 and Daredevil 11 But they were incredibly awesome And beautifully drawn things that it would be really be a shame If you missed out on, so while you're still here In the store, where no doubt you had to read this recap Page immediately for the vital information It contains, you should see if they still have copies Which they won't, because it was awesome And you missed it Never let that happen again. <laughs> that's great. Oh. So it's just—it's this ridiculously fun, intentionally throwaway comic that I—I—I mm-hmm. I, I really loved.
0: Mhm, mhm.
1: That is fabulous. Says the guy who will never be able to read it. <laughs> One day you will break your fast. One day Marvel will change, and you'll be able to go back, my friend. Yeah, yeah that's probably. it. It's not like you know. Ten years from now when that happens, you'll be like, I really remember that one issue of Avenging Spider-Man. I might.
0: I have a you know, you can't you can't stay a comic reader for this long without an ability to fixate unnaturally on things, you know? So we'll see. Uh how is uh, the
1: Avengers
0: versus X-Men thing? Are you like all
1: I, that? I didn't read it this week. It I, really? I yeah, I wow. it was one of those things where I was just like, you know what? I mean, I probably will at some point, but mm-hmm. I was pretty much like, I've not been, I've not been enjoying it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was like, and it's it's a three ninety nine book. I mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I I would rather spend that money buying the Secret History of D B Cooper. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I, I I did not get a comic that I I kind of knew in advance I wouldn't like. Mm-hmm. and got a comic mm-hmm. I was on the fence about instead.
0: Great. Which was de- the second issue of D.B. Cooper? The third issue of D.B. Cooper. Oh, is it three? Jeez. Yes. I have the first sitting around, and I liked it okay.
1: I yeah, guess. I see, that was just that I really liked it, and then I liked the second. Oh, okay. And so I was like, mm. is it worth getting the third? And I kind of like third. Okay. But I also mm-hmm. kind of feel that when it's done, it'll be a great collection to read at one, in one time. Right. Right.
0: Did you uh, did you pick up Saucer Country this week? I did, indeed. And you liked uh, it more than I did. So, I, I you?
1: I'm sure I'm still liking it more than you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's. I I still like it for all the reasons I liked it before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that you're just going to have roughly seven million problems with if you read it. Mm. If not more. Right. Um, it is. It's possibly the first comic for a while that I've read and thought, yeah, the fact this is 20 pages and not 22 pages is a real problem here.
0: Mm. Mm. Interesting.
1: Because uh, he's really trying too much for the space. Hmm. Hmm. Um, which partially, you know, you could argue works for it. Mm-hmm. But honestly, if he'd had another couple of pages just to flesh things out a bit more, it would be so mm-hmm. much better. Mm. also it feels like he's rushing the story it feels like, it really? feels like he's yeah um, mm. there's, there's things that are happening that feel very and this will pay off in the third act which for your third issue seems really early <laughs> you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which makes me wonder if he has like a backup plan to finish the story really quickly if he has to
0: I can see that. I can – I mean, who knows? Maybe – I can't imagine that – I can't imagine that DC slash Vertigo has gotten quite to the level of looking at the first issue sales and ringing up the writer going, hey, good news. You've got 11 issues to wrap this up. But, you know, maybe they will.
1: Oh, I, I'm not sure that they're doing it as much as he's just being sensible. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? She's right. just like, I know what happens to Vertigo books these days. I'm mm-hmm. gonna build in the end just in case I need it.
0: Yeah. Well. I, yeah. Exactly. So they can pull the trigger on it super fast if he needs to. I think that, uh, like you said, these days that seems incredibly sensible. You know, um, I, I definitely wouldn't count that out. Well, I, I,
1: that is one that I will probably check out somehow. I, uh, uh,
0: I'm because it's worth keeping an eye on it. You
1: know, I like I said I like it, but I really don't think you will. I think that and everything that has frustrated you about the comic before right is there in greater numbers oh, okay. this that yeah okay then maybe not So I and really think it would just you you'd come away going I really want to like it but I just can't
0: mhm but I I really do not uh Manhattan projects did you pick pick that up or no
1: I haven't picked any of those up yet
0: no, oh, at all. Oh, okay, for some reason I thought you'd read the first issue and then uh, definitely I talked through I want to the say, second like,
1: issue. Wait, have I? <laughs> <laughs> I have, right? Because it's, it's
0: like, no, maybe not. Maybe I actually walked you through the first issue and I, unpacked I, no, it. I, I think in detail no, and you thing, went,
1: I think you. Mm-hmm. I think you walked me through it. I think I read it after you walked me through it, though. I think so I remember it's... being like, that's crazy enough. I'm going to read it. Because, mm-hmm. for example, this week I also read collections of uh, Jason Aaron's Wolverine, in part because <laughs> it was at the library and you keep talking about it.
0: <laughs> well, oh, and you mentioned, of course, Bakuman in the mail. I, so, I, I, um... Yeah, I,
1: I, I've been reading Bakuman. And, uh, oh, the one thing I, I, that came out this week that I want to talk about really quickly yes. is Batwoman. Which I have officially dropped, but I forgot to take off my pull list. So I've actually read the last four issues. Oh, that's Um, so funny. And you know how – so this is the first issue with Trevor McCarthy drawing instead of Amy Reeder. Yes. And you know how that was very controversial? Yes. It was also entirely the right decision.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just looking through it now. It
1: it looks so much closer to what J.H. Williams is doing. I mean, that's the thing. Trevor McCarthy is doing a spectacular impression of J.H. Williams.
0: Yeah, he really is looking at this stuff. Wow.
1: Um, But comparing it to what Amy Reader was doing, it just does look better. I don't even Mm -hmm. care that all he's doing is doing a really good impression of J.H. Williams. It looks better. The book is better because of it. Yeah. Um, And it's it's a shame. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I've I really like Dame Reader's uh, stuff on Madame Zanadou. Mm-hmm. but but Batwoman is better off for this change. <laughs> mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. In part because
1: it's still uh, it's still a uh, I still have so many problems with the book in general. Yeah, yeah. I still
0: I have this issue nine. I'll have to read it and 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 get back to you next week. But yeah, I kind of had that moment of, you know, this probably doesn't happen. Well, I guess it does happen to you, like, in a way, having the pull list thing. But it's like, I got home, looked through the comics and had that moment of like, oh man, really? Ugh. Like, I was so busy talking with her to, to everyone. By the time I got home, I'm like, oh shit, Bat Woman, Fuck. All right, you know. But actually, having said that, you know, I looked through it and I'm like, well, it does, it, it looks darn pretty. Yeah, it looks amazing.
1: It and really is. And this, yeah. I I don't know if it's just McCarthy or if um, whoever's coloring is it Dave McCabe? Who's coloring? Uh, Guy Major is coloring. Um, really? So, wow! Someone is doing. Uh, it's basically adding the, ink wash texture. To yeah. Woman. Mhm. Which is really really nice.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Absolutely. That is that is lovely. Ah, oh, there's that beautiful Before Watchmen spread. Um,
1: hey, Watchmen toasters!
0: Fucking shit, man.
1: Did, did, I get... did Brian Hibbs tell you his spectacular Watchmen toasters joke? No. So uh, Brian Hibbs is emailing me the day the Watchmen toasters are coming out, and he's uh, he was talking about, oh God, some merchandise for a comic that I can't remember, and he was like, remember to include this in the... On onomatopoeia when you write it right and i was like what about the watchman toasters and he was like well as long as it's a rorschach toaster and i said i'm blank. and i was like you you did know this what i was referring to he's like no 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 no. i want toast i want a toaster that makes a different pattern in both sides of the toast every <laughs> single time you make it and that's a great idea <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is great uh yeah, I'm skeeved out by the Watchmen Toaster, unsurprisingly, as someone who did not want to support before Watchmen, and I'm kinda of skeeved out that Dynamic Forces is in on it. I don't know why. I'm just kinda of like, wow, really? Like Dynamic Forces, you apparently were like, No.
1: Well see, some people here's are the Dynamic mm-hmm. Forces involvement is no surprise to me at all.
0: Yeah, I you're I was, right. I was just like, of course they are. Well, on the one hand, yeah. See, this is the thing. I actually have always thought that they played it pretty safe. You know what I mean? Like, to me, there's nothing particularly... Am I forgetting something that was at all controversial in any of Dynamic Force's marketing, apart from their decision to market it, I think?
1: Uh... It depends what you
0: mean by... You know what I... Well, to me, it's like I don't really see a lot of people complaining that Dynamic Forces took every single piece of Alex Ross uh, paraphernalia and jammed it down our throats. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like anyone was like, well, I say, that's not cricket. You know, but but watch, but watch doing Watchmen-related merchandise now, uh, especially post-before Watchmen, seems oddly, like, hey, we don't care what you think, you know, in, in a way
1: that... What, what I find fascinating about it is it's not coming from DC. And yet, DC mm-hmm. are going to be the one shot on it. Right. It's Because it's the movie. Mm-hmm. It's coming from Warner Brothers movie or Warner Movies or whatever they're called. Yeah. Um, and so somehow that uh, that changes it for me in a really weird way. It doesn't make it any better, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like oh, it's it's. I guess for me, it it's more like exploiting everything when the movie was coming out. If that makes sense, that mm-hmm. than yeah than it's got anything to do with before watching or anything to do with that.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't have had a problem. Well, and it's weird. I wish for some for whatever reason it's so long in the making. Yeah, when you say that if this had come out with the Watchmen, all the other Watchmen paraphernalia for the Watchmen movie, I would have rolled my eyes, went, that's dumb, and not really had much of a reaction to it. Uh, and y- instead, I'm having a very different reaction. Well, it
1: really doesn't t- have much. It's the DC. timing. That's yeah, just it. Like, it's it's just... because it's coming out at, at the time when people are like, how can you exploit this thing that DC does not own? Yeah. That, I mean, that's. That's, that's it. And maybe we should have been having these conversations when the movie came out Mm -hmm. and we weren't.
0: Well, yeah, exactly. We weren't. I I think the other thing is, is going over all the, the stuff with, with Alan Moore and the Watchmen history is remembering that there was that first split that stuck over the, over the fucking buttons, you know, and. Uh, When when there was all that merchant that that brief little blip of merchandising that they tried to pass off as promotional stuff, so they didn't have to pay him a cut, which was just so stupid and petty, you know.
1: Well, it's it's hilarious looking back because you really do end up thinking, "You guys fucked up this relationship, which would have been exceptionally beneficial to you Mm -hmm. over such small, unnecessary shit."
0: Right, just, just nick, weird nickel
1: and dime eat. And, then, and there like, is that and, same thing, yeah. But then you're like, but you fixed that for Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. Like, they quite clearly were like, we can't ever do that again. Right. But there was this weird discrepancy that they managed to fix it for Neil Gaiman and never seemed to think maybe we should go back and fix it with this guy too. They yeah. just seemed to move on as in like, well, we fucked that up. Let's pretend it never happened. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, if this, for the, I feel that when they were, basically when they were deciding, we can't do this again with this Neil Gaiman guy. Let, mm-hmm. let's treat him better. I can't believe they were not also like. I wonder if we can go back and apologize and make good with Alan Moore Yeah, that part well, just de- blows my mind. I And and depending
0: on who you listen to or believe, I think there's the possibility that they were kind of hoping that they would or could or did. I mean, there was that blip around the time of the Watchmen anniversary where they were making noises like they were going to have those Watchmen figures that Gibbons and Moore had, uh, you know, signed off on participating and then didn't, you know. So there, a, there was one st- there was apparently some stage where they were, you know, trying to do something. Um, but yeah, now it's just on, on full tilt, you know, fuck that guy, you know. And and the thing that I find creepy, Graham, I'll tell you, is part of me wonders if the whole Watchmen toaster, the timing of it is really, again, to like screw more <laughs> on no, merchandising, I, I, I like I to
1: make sure that, he doesn't get a I, cut of this toaster I thing, you know. Think paranoid. I think that's paranoia. I think that's crazy as paranoia. I would maybe allow you to even vaguely suspect that if it was happening alone but it's happening with mm-hmm. like seven other toasters they're putting out yeah i refuse true. to believe that warner's right. is like let's suddenly do a wizard of oz toaster so that we right. can fuck alan moore over but hide it <laughs> that's just <laughs> no that's, that's true no, that's no 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 you're just right just like right. really no, now you're looking for things to be upset about.
0: <laughs> I'm always looking for things to be upset about. Uh, yeah, no, that is true. No, it probably is just as simple as someone looked at the bottom line of those fucking Battlestar Galactica toasters and went, you know what? We made a shitload and a half on these. You know, um, we've got to figure out ways to make more toasters. Uh, that yeah. being said, I thought that uh, Sean Witzke, who took the time on his uh, Tumblr, supervillain.tumblr.com, to dedicate almost an entire day to stray toaster uh, excerpts um, on the day of the, the Watchmen toaster announcement, was pretty brilliant. I really <laughs> didn't think that that was.
1: That was oh, while well, we're calling out blogs. Um, mm. People, if you haven't read the funny book "Babylon: Oral History of Countdown," oh, go and read it. Oh yeah, yeah, that, absolutely oh, stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, to explain what that is. Uh, it's Chris Eckert, right? It was Chris Eckert. Yeah, it is Chris Eckert. Chris yeah. Eckert. Chris Eckert did did a great job of going to find. It looked like all of the interviews he could still find that people mm-hmm. who were involved in the creation of Countdown to Final Crisis had done. Before, during, and after the project, and Mm -hmm. exert them to create a normal history of the project that is mind blowing to see now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Because it, yeah, it's, it is, it's one of those deals where, and I have to tell you, that was maybe the strongest argument. Um, against the, for me, the new DC. Like a lot of people have been like, why are you quitting Marvel, but not DC? And I don't know, it's been something I've been half thinking of. And I was like, eh. And yet after reading that oral history, I was like, oh my God. Like there's a way in which this new 52 by being such a huge success, like the fact that the Dan DiDio who's giving those countdown interviews is the guy who's in charge of the DC universe now as it exists is kind of terrifying. You know? It really is. <laughs> to me. It really I really have that factor of and weirdly enough, it reopened this whole thing I had not thought about, which is, you know, there was this whole point in the internet where everyone's like, Dan DeDio's losing his job any day now. Any day now. Any day now.
1: Oh, I you know? I remember. I remember people mm-hmm? genuinely were like, it's going to be Wednesday. Yes. <laughs> like people were <laughs> yes. that convinced.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I really, I'm like, those days are long gone, you know? Uh, The the success of, just the success of the new 52, even if it does not, if it ends up being exactly in the same place as it very well may in another six months, I think that it was such a huge short-term success that that guy is... Pretty secure. Oh, for... I, I
1: think he's been pretty secure since he's been co publisher. Like, I mm-hmm. I remember exactly what you're talking about. When people are like, "He's going to lose his job," and then he didn't. And mm-hmm. I seem to remember almost everyone being like, "Oh, this is a placeholder because they haven't found someone to replace him." <laughs> and then all of a sudden he's a fucking publisher, and you're like, "Yeah, wait, what? <laughs> how, how did that happen? What happened?" Uh, and I, uh... what happened was black is night.
0: Mm,
1: i think mm. what happened was
0: yeah
1: jeff john's I, I was going to say I took one for the team but that's not right but jeff john's like what other cliche hit it out of the park there you go right blackest night and that was mm-hmm. such a success yeah that dantonio could rightfully go to his bosses and say look at this that's mm-hmm. that's all me well
0: yeah there was that he could say that or he could say the the flip side of it which is kind of like hey you know what jeff sold blackest night and knocked it out of the park but i was the one who figured out how to do the 40 tie-ins including the the canceled issues um and that made us a shitload of money on the ancillary product you know yeah, because I don't think I could be wrong, but I really do not think that Jeff Johns's original idea was like, yeah, and then we'll, then we'll have an issue of Adam and the Hawkman where they're both zombies and fucking each other up, you know, kind of thing. Like, I don't think he had planned for like canceled issues of. of God, what were some of the books that came back
1: that would uh, have been dead?
0: You would know Barry. Uh,
1: I want to say Battle might have. Or there was a Battle story. Maybe it was it was like all yeah, there was Western some or Western
0: thing. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, there was some There was
1: Adam yeah. and Hawkman. There was right. the question. Right. Um Oh right. The God, question, I, can't, yeah. I can't remember what the other
0: books yeah. were. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sort of like Wonder Woman No, Wonder Woman was a mini series. But yeah, they had those one shots, which really was this idea of, you know let be fair, like.
1: that was a great idea. For oh, for, yeah. a stunt, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Zombie, yeah. for a stunt, your zombie event yeah. like reanimates dead books, that's yeah. a great idea.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And like I said, I could be wrong, but I sort of feel like that was DiDio, and DiDio's got this whole like, Hey, the great part is, because I don't care about quality, I can make sure that we can have a fast turnaround so we're really on our feet and responsive to the market. With inferior product, but you know, <laughs> you can only do so much about that. But we will get product out that can tie in so that you know we can essentially double down on our um, big events when it looks like they the, the the response is great.
1: Yeah, I I I think I think he, I think Black Knight. Uh, it's not like he earned the job from Blackest Night because he was by no means the only person there. But I think <laughs> Blackest Black Night coming after Final Crisis mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really did look like a spectacular turnaround.
0: <laughs> well, I do have to say the other thing that's one of the many things illuminating about Chris Eckert's piece is Countdown was such a total, unbelievable fucking failure interred. And yet, weirdly enough, it did a great job of being forgotten. You know, it either speaks well to, <clears throat> excuse me, despite, you know, people complaining about how unforgiving comic book fans are, like sort of how quickly fans are willing to actually forget and move on. Or, yeah, in this case, that Final Crisis had so much going on and so much for people to talk about. And then they very rapidly did their sprint toward I don't know. It wasn't that quick a sprint. There's like a whole other year between Final Crisis to Flashpoint to Reboot, right?
1: You mean Blackest Night?
0: No, no, no. I mean from from the end of Final Crisis to when Flashpoint hits to the new 52.
1: Well, there's there's Blackest Night in between. Is it in between?
0: Oh, my God. Why did I think that that was before Final Crisis? It
1: was Final Crisis, Blackest Night, Flashpoint. Uh, wow, and I want okay. to say there's maybe six months between Final Crisis and Blackest Night.
0: Okay, then you're totally right. I'm I'm completely sorry. I think between Final Crisis and, yeah, especially Blackest Night. That's crazy. And then there's a year between Blackest Night and
1: yeah, Flashpoint?
0: Yeah.
1: Wow. Wow. How a full the fuck year they... as well. That's the crazy thing.
0: Yeah, well, that's it. Because they got 12 issues into The Flash, right? Because Flash was...
1: Well, they also had – no, but they also had – well, Flash was also hideously delayed. but Yeah, okay, um, thanks. I
0: was like, how did they only get 12 issues out when it was like – okay, yeah, huge.
1: Well, they, they had the two weekly books, remember? Jesus. Or bi-weekly. They had the two bi-weekly books. They had Justice League, Generation Lost, and Brightest yeah. Day.
0: Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's right. Jesus. Brightest Day and Generation Lost. My God, Graham. I have to say I, I A, am both impressed that you remember so much of this and B horrified that I remember so little of it. Like I was there and I'm like, I apparently like I worry that the my interest in comic books is speeding up my um Alzheimer's and dementia by like five hundred percent,
1: you know. It's very possible. Boof. <laughs> Comic books rot your brain. Didn't, didn't your mother ever tell you that? Come on. She
0: did. I thought it was hyperbole. I had no idea that they're going to be looking back on us and be like, oh, "Apparently, the the, you know, essential uh, emphasis on sequential entertainment, you know, uh made people forego essential uh short-term to long-term memory conditioning impulses." And so consequently, they just can't remember anything. Um and they're always looking forward to what's happening in three months. So, sad.
1: But sadly, probably not untrue.
0: Yeah, I know. Like, whoo, hey, that makes sense. So, are we going to answer questions? Speaking Let's ask of, questions since we we're like an hour into it. Yeah, sure. Why not?
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. And also, I even though we started, I'm still going to have to jump off like by five.
0: <laughs> Son of a. Well, thank you. That's good because, I, yeah, I understand. Um,.
1: um Okay, so we're starting with Moose and Squirrel. Yes. Who has the world's longest question? It's actually a yep. fairly short question, but there's a, a run up. Right. Comics are a visual medium. Obviously, but in mainstream North American comics, at least, the focus is almost always on the writer at the expense of the artist or artists, who actually do most of the work and are primarily responsible for establishing the tone and flow of the story. You'll hear people refer to Bendis' Daredevil or Morrison's All-Star Superman more than they refer to Bendis and Malieve's Daredevil or Morrison and Quietly's All-Star Superman, for instance, even though I can't really imagine either of those runs without their respective artists. Certainly, you never hear them refer to as Malieves, Daredevil, or quietly All Star Superman. There seems to be this underlying assumption in mainstream comics that writing is what really matters and that artists are essentially interchangeable cogs that can be swapped in and out at will. We can certainly see the logical extension of this in Marvel's current attitude towards artists. My mm-hmm. question is this. Where do you think this cult of the writer comes from? Do you think it just comes naturally, that is, the writer really is with the most important aspect of comic production? Or do you think something else is skewing the way comic readers, critics, and the industry at large perceive the value of art and artists? He then says to give Mm -hmm. you some time to think of an answer. My own theory is that this stems from the assembly line nature of production in American comics, which breaks up the act of comic creation into a series of specialized tasks and essentially makes the writer into a kind of factory foreman, passing on orders from management to a team of increasingly exploited and undervalued workers.
0: Okay. I'll take a stab at this, and then, unless you've got something strong to lead with.
1: I don't have something strong to lead with, but I... I have an idea as to why it might be. So you take a step first and then I'll take my step.
0: Yeah, so I would say that it is essentially – there's two super important pieces to this for the North American comic market. And the first part is related very much to the theory that you you put forth, Moose and Squirrel, which is essentially that the editor is able to work more closely with the writer – And um, also additionally, well, so for example, the writer pitches the editor, the editor, or depending on if you go back to the Silver Age, the editor hands the idea to the writer. The writer then develops the script. The script gets um, drawn, but there's usually a little bit of extra involvement because it's easier to actually fix the script than it is to fix the art the writer gets essentially another step of interaction with the editor in that if things need to be fixed, sometimes the editor does it themselves. Sometimes they uh, would go back to the writer. And so the writer and the editor are sort of more in cahoots and therefore slightly more likely to be, I think, recognized uh, and identified. Also, the flip side of that is because I think artists have um, arguably more marketable skills, at least for the level of quality, uh, of illustration you used to see, uh, from comic book artists, uh, you actually don't have that many artists. I feel that made the jump to full on editorial roles, uh, in the comics industry. I mean, there are some like Carmen Infantino, for example, Joe Orlando, I guess, Joe Kubert. Uh, but, And that seems all very tightly, you know, tied to uh, DC. But if you look at a lot of the other places, it really seems that the where you picked editorial came from writers or uh, people with a stronger writing based background. And therefore, I think uh, an emphasis on editorial to... Emphasize the writer, and then the flip side of this, the the other thing that I feel is the 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 killing blow for why this is the case is Stanley. Um, you know, Stan, by being both the editor and the writer, even though he really did give equal credit to the artists uh, on his stories, you know, Stanley and Jack Kirby present this or, you know, it's not like Lee was ever in huge letters and everyone was smaller. But Lee was there first. And I feel by being an editorial, he was able to create kind of a consistent voice throughout the bullpen pages, the letter pages. It's, even though Kirby, like, you can't look at those books and be like, oh, you know, this is all Stan Lee. It was. It's really easy, I think, for people to believe that. And by that point, because Marvel sold so much and across so many different artists, of which Stan Lee seemed to be only the common component, I think that started to create the myth that the writer uh, was the mainstay person. Now, I, I should point out that we have a strong tendency, again, if you go to the Avengers and you sit through the credits there were something like a thousand people who worked on The Avengers. And w- uh, everyone I've heard in the popular discourse has a tendency to talk about it like it's Joss Whedon's Avengers. You know, the, the auteur theory at a certain point has become very popular in uh, I, certainly American culture, but I think uh, across across the world and across most of the art forms. the The art forms that are always, always considered to be collaborative forms like theater or dance or music, Um, a lot of those, the more collaborative that they're seen, sort of the more pushed into the background they are. Even in music, there's a strong tendency to be like, oh, yeah, you know, sure it was the who but it was really pete townsend was the power behind the who and if you didn't have him you wouldn't have the rest of it i think it's just a really commonly reductive form of thinking that uh unfortunately gets heavily heavily exacerbated in comics but frankly i really do think that you see it throughout popular culture anyway the end
1: i feel like i should just be like You're entirely right, Jeff. Uh, I I 100% agree with you about Stan Lee being the constant at Marvel. Mm -hmm. And I think that Stan Lee, uh, by accident or design, and I think it's actually a little bit of both, by Stan Lee becoming Marvel, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that really created the idea that the writer is the dominant force. Mm -hmm. Um, And in a weird way, I think Kirby leaving... Really mm-hmm. contributes to that, to that as well, because right. the amazing Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four and Thor all continued past the loss of their co-creators. Yes. With Stan oh, being constant, even though Stan Lee didn't stay on that long after Kirby left in the Fantastic Four.
0: Um, That's true. But he was there for a long time. To me, Spider-Man being the flagship title is the big one. Like, Ditko left Spider-Man and... It just got bigger under Leon and Romita and it was exactly. really, really you can easy can almost to believe make the point. at
1: that point. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can almost make the point that, like, well, it, it must be the writing. Yeah. Um, and so apart from that as well, I think that a lot of the reason the writing gets so much focus is uh, self-consciousness on part mm-hmm. of comic fans and on part of comic culture. The comics mm-hmm. have a literally a literal uh, literature so – I'll try again – literature mm-hmm. value. They're they're mm. they're not just pretty pictures, and so I think right. part of that is there's a really weird self consciousness of no, there's mm. a real story. You know, it's it's actually important. It's not just you know, it's not just pictures. It's not just something that you look at.
0: You read. That's a great point.
1: And yeah. so there, you by doing that you automatically devalue the pictures. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you also right. it up, and so you get to the point where it becomes uh, our. You know, a a cycle that just repeats itself because Mm -hmm. the publishers Mm -hmm. are going to play up to that expectation. But by doing that, they they do exactly what you say, and Squirrel, which is they devalue the artists Mm -hmm. because the artist becomes the uh, the writer becomes the only constant on the book. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think there's actually a brilliant point that you're making there because if you look at you know European or comics throughout the rest of the world. Where there's not that kind of defensive, "Hey, we're not just kiddie things," um, and therefore pushing the quote-unquote literary angle, um, you get a lot more acknowledgement of the the role that the artist plays. To say nothing of the fact that depending on what you're looking at, um, you know, you're you move past the artificial. Uh, Industrial uh, uh, assembly line, and you start getting back to guys who are writers and artists, people who are allowed to to do both.
1: Yeah, um, so I think there's lots of reasons why it exists, uh, but for me, the big ones are Stanley and our own nervousness. But I think your point about the author theory is is also entirely spot on. Mm, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Hooray!
1: So there's oh, three. Out. Okay. Al Ewing, yep. I, 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 for some reason, I'm doing all the questions this week.
0: I... No, 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 I've got it up. I'm oh, going to yeah? read it because oh, this I'll is Ewing. such a, the, I mean, how anyone not from the UK is going to answer this, I have no idea. Al Ewing asks, where do you stand on the following topics? Are you just going to is... read the
1: topic and then I respond? Sure, I was going to read them all, but let's go one by one. Fizz comic. Uh, I didn't even really read Fizz comic that much when I was Really? There. Yeah, yeah. I, I read it sometimes, but I was never massively into it uh it's kind of awesome that it is what it is, if that makes sense. Right. This comic mm-hmm. sort of exists outside of comic culture in part because, mm-hmm. like, it's sold in pubs. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's sold in pubs and newsagents. It's got its o- mm-hmm. own distribution network, which is spectacular. And so even right. though it's really clearly a comic, mm-hmm. somehow people don't think of it as a comic. Interesting. Which well, is it's in- great.
0: And I have to say, having only, like, I can at best remember the logo. I mean, Viz Comics is something that, uh, I, which I easily get confused with, like, Beano or Chips or something. Oh, no,
1: is- Viz Comic is, is, is for grown ups.
0: Is it? <laughs> Viz okay.
1: Comic is really, uh, scatological humor. It's, it, it's really oh. much like, you know, if you find the idea of a television presenter farting and then telling someone to fu- fuck off, Viz Comic is for you.
0: Well, I have to say, I just saw um, In the Loop on Netflix last night. Oh, it This is, seems like it's a perfect segue. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, my it's God.
1: I, whew, Are you, wow. Oh, you don't have BBC America? Because they're showing the no. TV show that... that um, oh, can, Thick of It? Yeah. Is that on BBC America now? Yeah. Son of a bitch. Oh,
0: that would be great to see. Because I had heard from people, among others, uh, Ian Brill, and actually, I think Abbey, both huge early adapters on these shores of Thick of It. Uh, And I was like, yeah, I got to remember and heard good stuff about In the Loop. But the fact that it was on Netflix and especially the extra buzz around Veep, I was like, "Okay, we have to we have to watch this. That was maybe the most entertaining two hours of swearing I have ever seen in my entire life. The the,
1: the pure ventiveness of the cursing in that film is spectacular. And Peter Capaldi really really pulls it off, doesn't he? Oh, (laughs) God, it's so great.
0: Oh my God, just fucking awesome. And and actually, weirdly enough, in, in between all the swearing, all the really mean pop culture references, uh, like just the fact that James Gandolfini, who plays a Pentagon general in the movie, at one point he refers to him as, hey, General Flintstone, like, like Edie actually gasped, you know what I mean? Like that was like the most rudely dead on thing that you could ever say about James Gandolfini, like ever, like... It was brilliant. It really held, to, like, oof, hold held no bars. Um, anyway, so Viz comics swearing, I was like, if it gave us in the loop and thick of it,
1: <laughs> I, I give it a thumbs up. It's so. it's you should try and track down a copy. I'm sure, like, mm-hmm. if you go into Green Apple, there's going to be a a, a, viz, a secondhand Viz somewhere.
0: I don't know, man in the interest of dragging our, our answers out even farther, I just got back from Green Apple just today, and it's the first time I've been there in pretty much a year. Uh, and it's, it's a weird place, Graham, I have to say. because what had happened was I bought one of those like awesome Google offers where it's like, buy 10 bucks and get 20 bucks of, of books there. Uh Or or whatever, $20 of merchandise. And of course, today was the day that damn voucher expired. I've had it for like six months. I'm like, okay, today's the day I go. And I just walked into that bookstore. I went into the annex for those people who know. You know, there's Green Apple is basically broken into two separate storefronts at this point. I went into the annex because that's where all the used books are and also where the used graphic novels used to be, although I think they they moved them.
1: Yeah, I Um, I
0: I think they moved them when I was there. Did they? Because the last few times I was there, they were, oh, no, wait. You know what they were? The used graphic novels are still in the attics. I just I just didn't look at them. I just decided to try and drag up, dredge up for various reasons, like some old mysteries and stuff. But I don't know. It was so, like, I, and I could be wrong because there were customers in there. God knows there were store people. You know, the guys working behind the counter were, you know— not effusive but they were you know friendly and helpful or whatever but there was just something about the way the this it was so jammed with stuff and none of it was necessarily cheap which has always been the green apple curse in some ways you really have to hunt to find a deal um but it just seemed overflowing and uncurated in a way that kind of reminds me of like um visiting an, an uncle or aunt that you know with crazy fingernails, like there's just kind of that sign. There's not something altogether healthy there, which <laughs> which I have to say, I'm sure this is exactly what Green Apple wanted when they sold these uh, vouchers was the hopes that someone like me could then do some shopping and then come back and say that that thing's on its last legs to all the listeners uh, on their podcast, you know. But, That's really
1: um, sad. Well, I, I, I love Green Apple i know i do i
0: and that's it i walked in there going wow i used to love this place and instead i just felt i don't know kind of nervous and depressed it's not it's not it's somehow i don't know how to describe it it's just not the same feeling as when you go into say powell's bookstore in portland you know what i mean there's something about it that just kind of doesn't quite feel healthy anymore to me and i could be entirely wrong and next time you're here in san francisco i think you should go and let me know if you think i'm being absolutely crazy and oversensitive
1: see i'm, so, I'm not really nervous about that because I, I do love that place so much that i'll be really upset if it if it's turned into this terrible place
0: well the great part is you'll probably go in with these you know lowered expectations and be like oh jeff's a lunatic i gotta remember to look at his fingernails the next time i see him and then you know we'll be fine but uh, bookstores, man, I really, really, maybe part of it is my own self consciousness of like between having limited bookshelf space and my switching to you know shelfless or digital stuff. I just don't go into bookstores anymore, and maybe that's it. Maybe what was staring me in the eye was my own feeling of horrific guilt for not being a, a patron of, of Green Apple anymore.
1: You've not been there for them.
0: Yeah, I really haven't. And I used to be there. I, I I used to all but live there, you know? Um and so yeah. So you laugh, but maybe that's really what's going on with me. So uh yes. So Vizcomic sort of covered BBC Micro versus the ZX spectrum. Do I have to First say that? First of all, love... it's the
1: ZX spectrum. Oh it's, sorry. It's not the ZX spectrum. While Americans might Stupid read that Brits. and see that as ZX, it's the ZX Spectrum. It's that the is, ZX. That is yes. the way it is said. I'm really sorry, sorry everyone. I know. I'm glad you wrong.
0: totally – I was glad that I knew there were two different types of home computers.
1: Yeah, so, so you know. this this is what I'm going to say. ZX Spectrum because the BBC Micro is what you learned programming on when you're in mm-hmm. school when you're my age. Um, and it was always a chore. It'd be um, – you'd be like 10 – print hello 20 go to 10 run and it would just go hello 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 like that's how involved you got it was yeah. really fucking dull whereas the zx spectrum you'd plug it into a tape recorder you'd load up whatever the game was and you'd play for like half an hour with truly shitty graphics so definitely right. zx spectrum yeah
0: yeah zx thank you i've learned a valuable lesson uh i also would have picked the zx spectrum although i would have said it wrong uh-huh. <laughs> Taboo. Now
1: I have no idea. I don't know what taboo is.
0: Do you think it? Do you think it's the Steve Bissett anthology? I mean, considering the 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 first things were so Brit oriented, I'm
1: like, yeah, that's just it. I'm guessing it's not because the next one's Starblazer. Um, I don't know what taboo is, so I I I can't answer.
0: Well, I will say Al that um I I think I think if you're talking about the early eighties. A uh, creepy pornographic film series that was all incest oriented. Uh, what? I, yeah, although that. Well, okay. There's Marilyn Chambers in Taboo, I think, and then there's American Taboo, which had parts one through three. And American Taboo was entirely about um, people, uh, about a family where every member of the family ends up screwing every other member. I, I and just, it's,
1: let's just go ahead and limb here and say that that's not only an American Taboo.
0: I I know, but I think the series was called American Taboo. Maybe I'm wrong, and God help me, I would look this
1: up on the internet. Yeah, but I don't really, really have but, my. But also, yeah. who knows where you're going to find? Yeah, exactly. If I you type really in American Taboo it. plus incest plus porn, I really don't think what you want to find.
0: The results are yeah, exactly. <laughs> Congratulations, you've now installed Autovirus. Uh, I I do remember that, as I recall correctly. Taboo might have been one of the more dull Marilyn Chambers movies. And American Taboo was interesting because it was written and directed by Henry Chinasky, which is, of course, a pseudonym that Charles Bukowski uses for his character, his His stand-in character in his novels. So looking back on it, it's kind of fascinating that a guy was well-read enough with Bukowski to actually use that as his porn nom de plume. And I went through a brief period where I was completely obsessed with the idea that this was Abel Ferreira, but later things make me think that that is not the case.
1: (laughs) Um, Okay. I I really don't know what Taboo is. At first I thought he meant toxic, which was the 1990s attempt to do a new 2000 from all the people who did the original 2000 which was mm. terrible, but um, <laughs> it really was. It, it, it failed on so many levels. Um, mm. But that's toxic, not taboo, so I don't know. I don't know what taboo is. Sorry. There we go. Starblazer. Was fucking awesome. <laughs> Starblazer was a, I want to say it was a bi-weekly digest, except it wasn't bi-weekly. I think they just put two out every month, but I think they released them at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, digest, science fiction anthology digest. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the same people who did the Beano and the Dandy. So DC mm-hmm. Thompson. Um, and it had, I want to say it's got the first or some of the first Grant Morrison work ever. It, it basically, because it was all, it didn't come with credits.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that none, none of the work was credited. Um, and it was it was great. It's one of those things that. I didn't love so much growing up as much as I love now because mm-hmm. I wanted the color comic books. I wanted the color ones with the superheroes as opposed to these crazy, occasionally really fucked up science fiction short stories in like 30 pages or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But looking mm-hmm. back, I I'd love it. I, I, I really miss Starblazer. Starblazer is one of the things that if I had unlimited amounts of money, I'd probably still manage to bankrupt by trying to find back issues on eBay. Mm, hmm. So that's Starblazer. Starblazer gets a thumbs up, Ali Ewing.
0: Hey, I'll have to say, thank you, Wikipedia. Taboo apparently is the film series that I, that I called American Taboo. I was only familiar with the first three chapters. But according God, to Wikipedia, it's to like twenty
1: six or something, doesn't
0: twenty three apparently, <laughs> no, which I'm what? not really sure. It's Wikipedia, so let's take it with a certain grain of salt. Interestingly enough, they mentioned the directors, Curtie Stevens. They do not mention Henry Chernasky, the the pseudonym there. So maybe I have that confused with some other porno movie, which would be sad because I honestly, I swear, it sounds completely different. But I, I did not see that many of them, frankly.
1: So I, I'm now looking up the disambiguation page for "Taboo" on Wikipedia to see if we can get any clue as to what it is. Is he talking about the rapper from Black Eyed Peas? I somehow doubt it. If he is, though, thumbs down. Uh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate black... that you had an opinion. Oh, um... I'm not. A, I'm not a Black Eyed Peas fan. There was, um mm. on a, in my gym, and this is totally getting to a really crazy out there um digression, um, there's Pandora Radio. That mm, yes. And you go in and you're like, I have no idea what the fuck we're listening to. There's a mm-hmm. Black Eyed Peas station on the Pandora. Oh, no. And what it has is something that every single time the song plays, everyone in the gym stops and you have this moment of... Is this real? Which is a terrible Euro dance pop version of the Banana Boat song. Oh my God! It's like a rap, and then it goes "Dale, Dale." at that point, everyone just stops. It's spectacular. No matter wow. how many times I hear that,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, that is amazing. I'm
1: going, what is is spectacular?
0: Wow. Wow, that is um stunning. And I have to say, it totally made me think like I've heard some horrible stuff on my Pandora station. Like apparently there's there is no song so sacred that they will not try and Euro dance remix it. Like oh, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? That Iko Ico Ane song, I swear to God that was like worked into some sort of weird Euro dance remix that I was listening to. And I'm like, why would you do this? Like, you know, kind of this idea of like, haven't we suffered enough? You know, with Iko Ico on a you know, after Rain Man, if nothing else. Okay, <clears throat> Reverse Aquaman,
1: Graham. See, here's the thing. I'm sure that's a thing. I'm sh- I'm sure it's not just Al Ewing making a joke, even though before Reverse Aquaman is, but I don't know what Reverse Aquaman is. I'm going to enter it into Google, and I have the feeling I may regret doing this.
0: Yes, I'll have to say for myself, Reverse Aquaman is holy uh, oh,
1: shit. Uh, cur- Re-
0: yes. I was going to say it was my favorite sexual position, but uh, what what is it?
1: Reverse Aquaman is an Al Ewing thing. Is it? <laughs> yes, I've just found it. Google is your downfall, I, Al Ewing. Uh, what? Black, Are you kidding? No, yeah. Reverse Aquaman can control everything that's not in the sea. <laughs> In that case, was... Reverse Aquaman valuing as a comic, I want to see you write.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Oh, my that God. That is spectacular. Wow. What would, someone says in an interview from 2008, so you've been holding on to Reverse Aquaman for some time, my friend. Um, what would you guys, you guys like to do if you broke the states? Mm-hmm. And, and just immediately Reverse Aquaman. Turn him around or the Reverse Aquaman... Like the reverse Flash, reverse Aquaman can control everything that's not in the sea. <laughs> Even Superman and Aquaman has to fight him with his finny friends. Oh, my God. That's amazing. See,
0: I think, I think so Al Yulin is... That.
1: I'm so glad yeah. I Googled that. Seriously, that is,
0: that, that's proof that I think Al Yulin is perhaps the, the best uh, viral marketer ever invented. Before Reverse Aquaman, have you tried that? Is there anything?
1: Oh, I'm going to... No, you see, I'm sure that's a joke. Let's see. (laughs) Then again, I'm sure Reverse Aquaman was a joke, so... Yeah. Uh, Nope, because strangely enough, if you Google that, the only result is this comment thread. (laughs) (laughs) Meta!
0: Wow. All right. Well, there we go. Uh, So I think we covered most of those. Um, Maybe in a way that we don't really. Some of us, not Graham, uh, regret uh, doing at such length.
1: So (laughs) Dan asks two questions, both hopefully brief. You guys have there being a lot of connections between the recent Thor film and Jack Kirby's Fourth World. I'm a big Thor fan, but way behind my Fourth World reading. So I probably missed most slash all of those. What were the major ones? I, Uh, I honestly don't remember, but I hope you do.
0: I do, I do. Uh, my big one, the first one was I really felt that uh, the Loki angle in the Thor movie borrowed much more from the Fourth World, uh, th- the Pact. Wait, is it the Pact? Maybe it's not the Pact. Essentially, yeah. Uh, a- 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 yeah, it's the
1: Pact. You're right.
0: Okay, so in, in the that one of the things that makes the Fourth World sort of go is the idea that um, a- as a piece. Plan, High Father and Darkseid s- swap sons, essentially. So Orion grows up in New Genesis and Scott Free grows up on Apocalypse. Um, I kind of thought that watching the Thor movie, I was very struck by a-, a huge ass chunk of the motivation for Loki is that he thinks that he is Asgardian and turns out later that he has been raised as Asgardian but is actually related to the. Um, Frustrance. um and this actually is part of the motivation for his sort of spite and uh, anger after i pointed after i said that you and a lot of people in the comments threads said that this was actually much more baked into loki's characterization and his origin than uh, i apparently knew so um, so there's that. The other thing which I caught that I'm very proud of myself and most people has uh, given me props for is the rainbow bridge sequence in the Thor film uh, is in fact a motherfucking boom tube. The way that they do it in Thor, uh, it's not the traditional conception of, of the Kirby-esque, you know, gorgeous rainbow across the sky connected to a city. It is literally a motherfucking tube appears out of nowhere and goes boom. And it still kind of blows my mind that A, they chose to do it that way and B, most of us really didn't notice despite being huge Kirby fans. So I think those are the big things for me. Um, I think that you could almost say that Thor... The origin of Thor is so different. In fact, I will go and say the origin of Thor is so different in the movie than what's in the comics that you could make the case that is actually closer to the first issue of New Gods, where Orion ends up on Earth and recruits regular humans to help him fight the external forces um, from another dimension, uh, and that it's sort of their support and fortitude and morale that gives him the strength to, um, to 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 carry on, so to speak.
1: Between that, the Masters of the Universe film, and the mm-hmm. fact that Thanos is going to be in a new Marvel film, mm-hmm. there's never going to be a New Gods film made.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or who knows? Maybe alternately, all of those things will be a cumulative effect of like, are you kidding? There's got to be, a you know, a new God's film made, you know, like someone's going to say like, hey, this is, you know, so clearly the source of blankety and blankety and L blank blank.
1: Well, I, I think it'll run the risk of um, John Carter in that case. Yeah. People well, just that be like, well, I've seen this right. before. I think <laughs> yeah, that's the a problem.
0: Right. This is like Thor with Thanos in it. Who cares? Yeah. In fact, I have to say, Thor... Thanos is going to be a ridiculously problematic villain for them, I think, later on down the line.
1: Yeah, I, I, th- I think far. the choice of Thanos is is yeah. um, is really interesting. And by yeah. interesting, I mean potentially a horrendous misfire.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, in, in a super nerd way, it seems kind of cool, but it could be awful in absolutely all the ways. Definitely, I can see why they kept, t- to Loki... Because, uh, because really, honestly, once you have – so it's so much harder to be menaced by, you know, a piece of CGI that looks like a piece of a rock. You know, it's just not, it's just that, not easy.
1: That, that's just it. And spoilers for everyone who hasn't seen the Avengers movie yet. Although I kind of think that if you haven't seen the Avengers movie by this point, you don't really want to see the Avengers movie. And also, you probably have had the spoilers before. Like Th- in, Thanos looks terrible. in the. the yeah, he game. does,
0: doesn't he? he re- well, I mean, it's all sort of thrown together. I mean, honestly, his little messenger dude looked better than Thanos. Like Thanos turns around and I've seen film comment threads where people who are not familiar with Marvel was like, I was totally stoked that I recognized the Red Skull, although I had no idea why I had a different voice. And then someone told me I was wrong, you know, but yeah, he looks bad. He looks, Did he looks you see, like
1: really terrible.
0: Did you see that, that interview with Jim Starlin, which I caught up on Yes, somehow,
1: yes, yes. Where he was like,
0: yeah, I knew it was coming because my friends who follow it on the internet told me. And someone was like, well, so what was it like seeing a sneak preview of it? He's like, I paid and went into the theater. Like, it really was. I was like, huh. I mean, that really is, if you were.
1: Want... Really, but really, were you, huh? Were you not just like, well, yep, that's the way it goes. That's how Marvel does things.
0: It is how Marvel does things, but it was kind of a wow. A, I'm really glad that I gave a ridiculous amount of money for charities before I went and saw this film. And B, I kind of wish that I'd either given more or stuck to plan A and like paid to see another movie and then snuck in. Because the idea that like Jim Starlin creates something and then you're like not even going to let him know, like not even, is and then, which would be fine if they weren't doing this whole like Thanos victory lap thing. Like, hey this is isn't it great that we included this thing, this thing for the fans? It's like
1: the, the, the victory lap is insane and for them to bring him back in Avengers Assemble, the comic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is um it's just what I really want to see, and this will never happen because the comics internet will not let this happen. Mm-hmm. But what I really want to see is an interview with Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, where they go, You know how Marvel didn't really give any of your cosmic books any promotion Mm-hmm. And they pretty much like pulled the whole rug out from under you and cancelled, even though you'd had stable sales for a while. How do you the feel about the to-
0: most stable sales? I mean, considering for Marvel, there were very few books that sold that constantly with so little promotion and that little burn off. You yeah. know what I mean? And
1: and then to be like, uh, yeah, so we're you know, Benders has got these characters now, and we're kind of acting like you haven't seen them for years. Yeah. I would yeah. love to see them just, see I, them I just what? love to know how they feel. Like, no, I just, like, I just want to know how they feel. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, I, had, I have to say it, because I think someone, I think it was Chris Robertson was talking about, in one of his follow-up articles, was saying, like, you know, Dwayne McDuckvey was talking about that stuff without any sort of vehemence whatsoever, and he got canned from DC. And part of me really thinks that would be the case with Abnett and Lanning at Marvel, the, the, the people be would be like it, it would not be cool for them to be like Yeah, actually, we're a little frustrated Because we were supporting Several different books And, you know, with constant sales And et cetera, et cetera
1: I just you said know. they're not working for Marvel anymore And then remember, they totally are They're writing New Mutants, aren't they? Yeah, they, okay. So. so So they would totally get canned Yeah, that's true Yeah, yeah. I don't they, know, I just, I, just I feel so sorry for them In a weird way, I feel more sorry for them Than I do for Jim Starlin. <laughs> it's true I, really? I, I, yeah, because I feel like they, they built up those characters for like from a fan base of nothing to the point where people wanted to see them back. What? And then,
0: Graham, no, I'm so sorry. I totally, Star Lord, you think you.
1: people really want to see Star Lord back or Groot?
0: Uh, uh yeah, actually, I, honestly, I think that the majority of uh, considering. Considering the number of lapsed fans are bigger than the number of continuing fans, I'm going to put forward the crazy hypothesis that there is a huge market for just about any character in the Marvel Universe. And what you can do is A, not disappoint the old fans, and B, make new fans who don't necessarily know the characters try them out. And that is a huge, huge skill set. Um,. But it's really, to me, kind of frustrating that you sort of changed uh, the goalposts from Thanos to Star Lord uh, in, no, in the course uh, th- of talking about this. I'm like, there was a there was a Thanos audience, man. There was a oh, no. No, 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 no. I
1: yeah, I I, I I was really talking about the Guardians of the Galaxy thing. The fact oh, okay. that they're like, we're doing Guardians of the Galaxy.
0: Okay. Well, that's that is. I think that is a good point. Although, again, part of me is like, Guardians of the Galaxy they've got enough of uh you know between the 70s and and more importantly the early 90s i think when they were much bigger when what valentino was on the book among others i really i don't know i'm not i'm not really sure those those audiences i don't really think of marvel's audiences as coming from nowhere uh anymore i think sadly i i think you know i think you can build up an audience but i think more often than not there's a lot of people reading marvel comics who are like me who are like Ah, boy, I would love to read Wood God, but I just don't think it's going to be good. You know? Which is dumb, because <laughs> it's fucking Wood God, you know?
1: Well, what what is funny when you're talking about, you know, don't disappoint the old fans, uh, mm-hmm. something else I read this week was the Mighty Thor Volume 1, the collection of the first, I think, six issues of Matt Fractions thing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, not his first Thor bit, but the when they relaunched the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what is fascinating about that is how insanely like fan fiction it reads mm. not mm. one character not one character is in character from what you consider their classic persona not really one. wow and i had this moment of when does when does fan fiction not become fan fiction and the answer is of course when the publisher says it's not
0: exactly exactly
1: but, that, but that's really what's going on because it's, it's fan fiction by any other name there is no I mean uh, it's just, it, like character motivations dialogue no one works the way they used to and the other thing that's funny is reading that right next to the second collection of Journey into Mystery is kind mm-hmm. of hilarious because Loki is a distinctly different character in both books
0: oh interesting
1: and, like, mm. I'm pretty sure they have the same editor, even.
0: Right. right. <laughs> you know,
1: you think someone would point that out.
0: Mm. It's a shame, because, of course, for me, I mean, before I jumped off all Marvel stuff, I, uh, I was very happy by Kieran Gillen's Loki. And it's hard for me to imagine being in a situation where people would be like, yeah, um, Matt, you got to make this a little more like Kieran's version. You know, I mean, so maybe stop making stop
1: but... making him like this nervous child. hmm mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's just it it was it was just kind of fascinating because mm-hmm. it really was a case of you know, it basically do you, remember, you read for uh, Fear Yourself, right? Yes. So you remember how Fear Yourself was had Thor being like, You're always a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. That's that's Thor in the Thor book now. hmm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. He's like, What the hell is going on? And you're like, What? <laughs> <laughs> but so get this, because he's Asgardian. When he says "hell," it only has one "l." Do you see what he's done there? Do you see? Do you see what he's done? Um, yeah. So, it's, Graham, it's... that
0: sounds really bad.
1: Oh, it it, it is. Don't worry. Um, yeah, it's 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 it was this crazy, crazy book. But it really was a moment of Thor has been in pretty continuous publication. Since his great, like, what, for 50 years now? There was a long period where he wasn't, but let's say but, I mean, he easily really the majority like of that three, 50 years. Yes. Like right. four years, maybe he wasn't. And even then, right. you had, like, flashback series. Sure. There might not have been a regular Thor book, but Thor would appear quite often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the Thor that is in the Thor comic right now mm-hmm. appears to bear no resemblance beyond having long blonde hair and a hat that has wings and a red cape, <laughs> to the Thor that has appeared mm-hmm. in maybe any of those other comics up until 2000, let's say 2007. Mm-hmm. That's kind of staggering to me. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and there is that thing. Uh, I don't know. Thor is i on the one hand super super problematic. If you look at that 46 years of Thor, you have to take into the account like it took it took Stan a, and a little bit of a while to nail down the dialogue, not not nearly as long as it took him with the Hulk. It's amazing to look at the origin of the Hulk and see how uh, mutable that character is yeah, for God, such a completely. long time yeah. you know like it took a long time but thor is not necessarily an easy one and in fact there's huge chunks again in the 90s with some of the Thunderstrike stuff where they you know it 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 just ha- it it became really hard for people <laughs> to to actually make thor sound like thor so they're like well we're gonna change him up and i i you know, just want to say that there's, for me, the the difference is they would always go to great lengths to, you know, if they were changing it in the moment, explain why it was changing or if it was different than the way, it, like, if they had to, expl- like, there's a, I'm impressed that the extent to which the Stanley and Jack Kirby actually cared enough to retroactively tweak Thor's origin, you know, is, um, is I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things that what used to be one of the great things about, about reading comics, you know, was kind of this, um, like the classic example of of like when, when Bruce Banner gets called Bob Banner and then later on he's Robert Bruce Banner, you know, which is silly, but it's so much better than, well, because I said so.
1: Yeah. There's, there was so much of a desire to make it work. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. that then there just wasn't. Yeah. Then it really did just become, well, this is is the way that this guy's writing it. And so what's happened is Mm -hmm. superhero comics, shared universe superhero comics have gone from this is what's happening to every Mm -hmm. single comic is being told by an unreliable narrator and you have to pick and choose what you want to believe. Yeah. Right. Without them ever actually saying that. But then you'll see, like, you know, Tom Brever's Farm Spring, which I cont- like, I am A, addicted to, and B, continually feel like you should be given hazard pay for. Mm-hmm. Um, where pretty much he yeah, is just like, you know, I'm sorry that didn't work for you. You know, you can't take it literally, blah, 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 blah. And it's just, I don't know, I just feel something is wrong when you have to spend that much time basically being like, okay, so that's what's in there. I'm, you mm-hmm. know, eh. Yeah,
0: well, uh, I do think I do think there is a, a my as poorly as they've handled it um, because it becomes easier and easier to go to every time DC's reboot button. Um, I think that's helpful. I honestly think that you can because there's just another way. There's no way to have 50 years of comic book continuity. You know, it's like it's like building something where the building materials literally can't handle that much weight. It just collapses in on itself. I mean, I know I've said this in other places, and I'm sure in this podcast, but, you know, there are times where part of me is like, man, the Marvel Universe, like... Because they've gone this long, and I think they feel like, oh, we don't we don't need a reboot. And who knows? We've talked about there being a reboot at the end of, of Avengers vs. X-Men. It seems so constant that Marvel is now defined by, no, we don't do that because our continuity means something. And yet... Continuity doesn't mean anything. Means less than nothing. It means so little here. Again, as cheap and easy as it is, when I see stuff going on in DC they're uh, like admittedly they should have skipped at least two or three different reboots that they did but i do have this thing of like oh okay that's fine it doesn't necessarily i don't know if it fits in or not or you see you get you get to have you get to have it both ways you get to bring back joe chill and you don't necessarily have to explain what happened with the night last 19 appearances of, of joe chill and also you don't have to like tell people, well, fuck you if you remember Joe Chill's last appearance. You you
1: know, that doesn't count. This does. Here is the problem with DC Reboots. They always tell the same story afterwards.
0: Right. Well, and that is the problem, is they just go back to burying themselves right into the same hole in the ground that they kind of always do. I would like to think that that would not be the case. Part of me, I think we've talked about this, this idea of the best case scenario is if If Marvel just reboots their universe and then doesn't set things at ground zero, doesn't tell the origin story or the Spider-Man year one story or any of that other stuff. They just have the adventures happen. Maybe the things are renumbered or not. And everyone just knows, you know, and then it just gets a little less... um, you know, otherwise, it it just the suspension of disbelief is too difficult. And unfortunately, again, there are guys and, and Fraction really is one who uh, has overplayed this the last couple of years of like, well, you got to suspend your disbelief because that's what happens. And listen to me because I'm the one telling the story. You know? Yeah. The and yet it happened. See is right there in the comic book, which just doesn't work oh Dan, remember when you thought these questions were going to be hopefully brief
1: Hey, okay. Uh, here, here's the last question and it may have to be the last question for the day looking at the clock any mm-hmm. theories as to how Bendis has been able to keep it going on Avengers so long? Is it pure marketing? Is it the constant Avengers focused event cycle? Or are there people out there who really like his cliche ridden faux Tarantino dialogue and reliance on deus Egg machina?
0: Do you want to take a crack at this first? I think you should take a crack
1: at this. Uh, I think it's all of the above
0: yeah, exactly. Uh,
1: I I I think that, I think that creatively, Bendis has been done on Avengers since Siege. <laughs> Seriously, I think everything that comes after Siege has been—he's been spinning his wheels or trying to come up with a direction.
0: I'm I'm laughing because I you would think it was said, before? oh yeah, like after like maybe the first year of the new Avengers when he split into two titles. Within a year of that, he'd run it into the ground. I, I honestly feel new Avengers Avengers split like by the time you come back from what's what? Well, maybe I'm wrong. What which one is uh the Frank Cho book that where the first six My, issues uh, are to come out? Might. Yeah, I, I would say at pretty much after that first arc of Mighty Avengers, he was done because I remember that one in particular because that. Wrapped up, I mean, all of the other stuff had wrapped up not well, but in a way that was excusable. But I honestly think when he split and he was trying to do different things in New Avengers, uh, and then and then that just was over like, it, I don't even think he went like six issues with that of the whole like, oh, I'm going to try different storytelling approaches. By the time you got to the end of the Ultron thing, I think he was just like, okay, that's it, I'm done. And then he just kept going.
1: I, I'm just... Uh, I think the reason Bence is still in the Avengers books is that they didn't mm-hmm. know what to do with him if he left. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I, I think the same is actually true of... I think the same is true of Captain America. Mm-hmm. I, I think that Brubaker could have left mm-hmm. after uh, Reborn, or Rebirth mm-hmm. of whichever it was called. Uh, right. um, and I, I think there, there comes a don't mess with a good thing, I think mm-hmm. that at some point that turns into can't mess with a good thing.
0: Yeah, and I don't know. It's tough. It's tough. Because on the one hand, there's part of me that in general appreciates long runs by writers. You know, good example, Peter David on The Hulk, when they pulled him from it. I don't think they really necessarily needed to pull him from it. Baker on Captain America. I think from you know, from what I saw up until the point where I was picking up the Marvel stuff, I don't really think that he was his books were getting any worse. I think he got I think Brubaker got overextended. And I think that's part of the problem with Bendis as well. I think I think the the other thing that's mentioned in uh that that is not mentioned in Dan's question that I think is important is the constant Avengers focused event cycle Part of me is I feel that Bendis has always had a hand in shaping that event cycle. You know what I mean? Like, I really feel like a lot of the last couple of events, you mentioned Siege, but uh, even Secret Invasion was very much his event, you know, and he really had a bunch of stuff built into that. So it's always, the Avengers are really cooked into the event cycle. They're cooked into the event cycle by Bendis, you know, both as guy doing the Avengers and as guy with a shitload of clout sitting there at the at the editorial summits you know so um I just I I mean and the books the way the Marvel cynicism with sales goes I think honestly think they believe um Which is a shame, because when you look at something like, you know, what Abnett and Landing were doing with the Cosmic books, is they just believe that all books slip, you know, that the marketplace only responds to artificial stimulus. And so Bendis doing Avengers, even if even if it's selling, you know, half of what it used to, they're like, yeah, but, you know, you can goose that up with artist changes and events and new number ones and alternate covers And really, you're going to get that for any book that sells, I don't know, you know, if you want to sell more than 30,000 copies of a book. Exactly. It
1: it becomes, that's what a book does.
0: That's what a book does. Exactly. So, uh, so I think there's not that kind of concept of like, they don't see the drop off where like Bendis is doing a book and, you know, if it's. If it's five years or eight years later, and he's selling half of what he used to, they're like, "Well, that's pretty good." Because if you look at, I don't know, you know, I was going to ironically enough say you know, Moon Knight, but I was thinking of the pre-Brian Bendis run on Moon Knight. You know, you saw characters that were selling sixty thousand, that you know, two years later were selling twenty thousand. You know, <laughs> so um, his 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 burn off looks a lot slower. There's a lot of people who still seem to like Bendis. I cannot stand the dude at this point and it's really, it's a shame. So,
1: well, When was your tipping point? Because I remember you I remember you being a, along the similar lines of me, which was mm-hmm. he's not always successful, but his failures are interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's a good question. I, and as uh, we said, like, I don't feel that about him now either. Right. And for me, the tipping right. point honestly was the heroic age. Uh, like that year, because that was also the time where he his, um as far as I'm concerned, his ultimate Spider-Man was beginning to go down the toilet because he was preparing for the, the death storyline. He was just like, oh, mm-hmm. shit, I've got to wrap shit up. Right. Well, you know, it, it's a good question. I would have to say
0: <sighs> Avengers. He would ha- I, I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, as in I felt like, OK, he can't really do team books, but he his heart is in the right place. Um, Ultimate Spider-Man, I I really did. I adored it right up until I felt like, okay, he started hitting stories that like really like that, that uh, God, was it the ultimate clone storyline or whatever, where I was just like, wow, he blew, like there just started to be more and more things where he would, you know what it is? Uh, Okay, I'm all over the map here and I apologize. But honestly, looking at the big pile of, of steaming poop that was house of m i was like this guy is writing first drafts and he's not he's not redrafting and i started seeing that in more and more of his books it wasn't a problem house of m was not a problem i thought of where with avengers and things where it's like okay he doesn't know how to handle that many characters he can't compact the dialogue and so everything runs long um i really felt that that at the end of House of M where he had, he had to introduce Lila Miller to make everything work. And he introduced, he basically took three issues to get the story going. I just went, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't know what he's doing and he's not being supervised anymore. You know, he's, he just got too far out of his comfort zone. I think after House of M, I started looking at him with suspicion with everything that he did. And it took long enough. Like, I guess if Powers had been published regularly enough, maybe I would have, because that was the last Bendis book that I dropped. Um, Maybe I would have dropped it much faster if it had been published more regularly. But essentially, bit by bit, piece by piece, a crucial bit of faith that I had in him, just fell, where it wasn't worth the experimentation because I, re- I felt that that was it wasn't experimentation, it was just the undisciplined doodling of someone trying to keep themselves entertained while while cracking out the next script.
1: Instead of moving on with the next question, I'm going to jump off of what you just said and yes, please. S- say the thing that I have wanted to but realized would be really <laughs> stupid to say in Blockett News or I'm all week. Yes. 2012 is Brian Benz's shitty year Mm. aka Jessica Mm. Jones isn't picked up Powers is not going to be picked up at FX I mean I don't care how many times he tries to spin it it's not Uh, and he's leaving the Avengers books and whatever he does after that is not going to Mm. be as big a success like things have peaked for him and this is the year where things start not even going badly but just not going well in the way that he's used to and I kind Mm -hmm. of really feel sorry for him yeah I don't. I don't, I don't think he's going to be able to deal with it. Oh, That's not true. He'll deal with it fine. I don't think he's going to know what hit him immediately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, or he'll come to the wrong conclusions. I think. I mean, that to me, that's the problem. Is is that it's not. You know, we just. You know, there's that that. Um, I always think of it as a, as a the the existentialist term of the element of opposition are you familiar with it no yes if i remember correctly and i probably don't sartre defines the element of opposition as everything that we are not essentially like we are what we are because we're not you know it's like i'm not this chair i'm not this table you know uh i am what I am. And he uses it actually for his definition, more of objects because Sartre's definition of freedom is, and, 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 um, existential freedom as embodied in human personality
1: is. So what you're saying freedom. is Aquaman is defined by the reverse Aquaman. He is Aquaman's
0: defined by the reverse Aquaman. Uh, uh, things are defined generally by what they're not. And what hap what helps I feel for people, even though we're in theory, uh, uh, you know, exempt from this is the restrictions on us can actually focus us and make us more complete. And the the irony is, as we fight to be get more and more freedom, so frequently that ends up essentially removing the things that made us great. You know, and I I, I kind of feel that that Bendis is like if there's ever anyone who embodied the term victim of their own success, it's Brian Bendis. Because at every step of the way, working within the system, he did some pretty awesome stuff. Even working against the system, he did awesome stuff. But once the system changed to essentially let him do whatever he wanted, I feel his work became weaker and flabbier. He became more and more overextended he didn't say no he didn't restrict himself he wasn't like okay i'm only going to write two books he's like you know what i'm part of what's great about me is that i can write six books you know i can write six books a month and it doesn't affect the output now his definition of what affects the output, in order to believe that, you have to ignore the DSX machinas, the bad dialogue, the poor pasting. You know.
1: Well, that, that's just it. Like His definition of what produced the output is, I managed to get those pages out, as opposed to, I managed to get those pages good.
0: Well, that's it. I mean, his thing is, is, and again, he defines himself by, but no, look, I was still doing interesting stuff with the page layouts. I was still working with, I was still doing oral histories. I was still trying to take different storytelling things. He was, I'm sure he feels like he, in his mind, he's the opposite of a hack because he kept taking, quote unquote, new approaches to things because he couldn't, he would not let himself see the things that he was doing wrong issue after issue after issue i don't think he sees the deus ex machinas i don't think he makes fun of his own dialogue but he never makes fun of dialogue in the right way you know what i mean like he spoofs i remember him spoofing his own dialogue if he were to do that spoof now i don't think it would be accurate where he has it go on too long and it has no punch you know um i yeah i i think he is not aware of his own uh blind spots and the marketplace permitted that for such a long time that yeah I honestly think when he's done he's going to command just and maybe I'm wrong because Lord knows if there's one thing I was wrong about it was how much money the Avengers was going to make Um, I I, but I do think the Bendis is going to come back whatever he goes on to next it's going to only be a shadow of it because people have either had enough of his crap or they just don't have any faith in him as a creator to, to bring it anymore. So, yeah, I would have to say, if you want the the 2012, the bald, media-savvy, clever dialogue writing nerd uh, award goes to Brian K. Vaughn. Um, and it's kind of amazing that it's not Brian Bendis. But yeah, I don't think he's ever going to get powers on the air. It doesn't matter how big Walking Dead gets to be; he'll he'll have no shot at it.
1: Yeah, I I I think at this point he has to just. Ex- oh, it's not true. He doesn't have to just accept the powers. It's not going to work as TV series. But enough has happened that is not mm-hmm. positive. That I, it would be nice for him to stop saying, "You guys don't know the whole story. Everything's going great." Right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I, that's mm-hmm. that's the part where. He goes from being, I actually do know more than you, to being disingenuous. Yeah. I think well, he can cause... say, well, it's not dead. Uh, but mm-hmm. the difference between it's not dead and everything is going great, we're doing more reshoots. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, they're doing reshoots. So there is that idea of like, it, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just, let's face it, <laughs> Brian Bendis, Brian Bendis, there's very few people who can take all the moves from the Mark Miller playbook. And and have them work. In fact, Mark Miller, I think, is only able to make yeah, so many of those plays work.
1: You know, but um, wait, are you? But saying I, Brian Bendis is one of those people who can do that because no, 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 God. no, no, no. I'm sorry. I meant, I meant sorry.
0: I meant Miller is one of those people who can only make the the plays work in his playbook that as often as he does. But I think Bendis, in particular, when he does his like, guys, trust me, this is going great. You know uh i i think that sometimes people should learn the lesson from Miller and be like what are you talking about i never said that <laughs> and then when someone points it out just ignore them and then move on to the next topic you know um i, I don't know i think we'll see we're going to be dealing with the the Brian, Brian Bendis's legacy for a long time i don't think it's just going to be just him um that has to deal with the fallout from his career i think um and that's kind of I don't know. Again, it's hard for me to feel sad for the guy because I think he has shoveled in a lot of money and lived a pretty good life. I just wish that the last half uh, of this of his career had had better comic books in it because the first half was pretty good. You know,
1: I feel sorry for him.
0: Yeah, I don't know.
1: I could. Not, I, I think he. I think he genuinely thinks that he is pushing himself, and I also think even beyond that. I think he genu- it genuinely did seem that he was going to be the next Mark Miller at one point, like mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, where he was going to get shows on there, where he was going to make the jump into being able to have really successful creative own books. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And that just has not happened. Yeah. And it's not happened for many reasons. Mm-hmm. But it's just not happened.
0: Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, there is a thing. Say what you will about Miller. There is a difference between, to me, writing two work-for-hire books and creating four creative-owned works in a year and the exact inverse of that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel – I just feel like – and, you know, Bendis has got – the guy's got – you know uh food to put on the table he's got a mortgage he's got a family he's got yeah. kids you know and uh he's got every reason in the world but ultimately to me what it boils down to is i just feel like he he just he went way way easier on himself than than other people in the marketplace have i feel like other people in the marketplace have worked really hard and I think Bendis at a certain point, he started coasting and it he was like, but it but it didn't seem like coasting because he was like cranking out more books, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I don't I, think he sees himself as coasting at all. And I also, to be exactly. fair, do, do not think that he really went easy on himself as much as he just chose a different path. I think he chose the path that was more lucrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and was making as much hay while the sun shined as humanly possible, even if that was to his own detriment. I mean, the fact that he's doing three monthly Avengers books right now, uh, honestly, seems like a massive ego trip to me. Um, But I don't think... I wouldn't say he made things easy on himself at all. I I, I think that he just made some interesting slash crazy decisions.
0: I don't know, man. Maybe. I, I feel like most of those decisions were made it's hard cuz when you're not when you're doing creative work you really have to you know you can't lose faith in yourself or else you just stop producing but there has to be a level where you have to challenging yourself by just going faster isn't isn't the right challenge i guess i don't know this is all stuff that it's just it's going to be like even more ridiculous supposition than usual, so I think I'll just just leave it there. But yeah, two the the 2012 being Bendis's crappy year is interesting and it's sad because I honestly think that uh, people are going to like certainly Marvel, by contrast, is going to look back at 12, 2012 and be like, we had a we had an awesome year.
1: You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I was actually thinking before um, they let John Dokes go and before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the two of their three TV shows get pulled uh, mm-hmm. I was thinking that like Mar- everyone in Marvel should be feeling great about themselves the success mm-hmm. of Avengers and the success of Avengers versus X-Men mm-hmm. like if I was working for Marvel I would be feeling great I would be like ah things kind of looked a bit ropey for a minute but we've pulled it back yeah
0: Still, well, it depends I, on who you define as working at Marvel. I mean, you know, I'm sure actually the guys in the sales and promotion departments, the guys in the upper editorial echelons feel that way, but oh no, And maybe that's a good, Lord knows, you know, considering, um, you know, Mr. Wacker and I put on the, the gloves over exactly this issue. You know, maybe, maybe everyone at Marvel is very, very happy to be at Marvel. Like you said, just for exactly that reason. But I'm like, even before John Tokes got the axe, I'm like, I. it just doesn't seem, you know, speaking for myself, I don't feel when, when a company is doing well and is not sharing in those profits with their workers, I, and admittedly I'm petty and greedy, I just feel twice as resentful, not twice as like, oh, this is awesome, you know? It's like awesome when the company's doing well and you get to share in it. It's not so great when it's the company's doing well and everyone's like, hey, good news, everyone. Um, You can't eat lunch at your desk anymore because it looks gross. You know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And that will be next week's announcement. (laughs) That
0: would be great, especially if they use that language
1: do you know something terrible Jeff like what? really genuinely terrible so we've been talking for two hours and yes. we've gone three questions Three. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that is terrible that really, uh... is, uh, uh,
1: to be fair we spent about an hour talking about the Avengers movie but still for the second week running as well uh, listen people we might be doing this for the rest of our lives there's forty questions we're only number 19 <laughs> Um, so next week more questions uh, and we'll actually try and get the questions within an hour Yeah, we'll, we'll see if that happens because you know we yes. had to do that this week or at least I didn't that totally didn't go to plan um, also next week maybe Jeff's Skype will be working so we won't have half an hour of you and me trying to get Skype working yeah listeners yeah what not? bye <laughs>
0: Well done, Bram. My goodness, what a professional you are. That's smashing.